I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On April 4th, 2019, ahead of the Women's College Basketball Final Four in Tampa, legendary Notre Dame women's basketball coach Muffet McGraw shook the world of college athletics and even took aim at our culture writ large. Muffet, I know you made some comments about hiring practices and what you do in the future. How important, as your career has gone on and, and we lost past Summit, how seriously do you take being that voice? Did you know that the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced in 1967 and it still hasn't passed? We need 38 states to agree that discrimination on the basis of sex is unconstitutional. We've had a record number of women running for office and winning, and still we have 23% of the House and 25% of the Senate. I'm getting tired of the novelty of the first American, the first female governor of this state, the first female African-American mayor of this city. When is it gonna become the norm instead of the exception? How are these young women looking up and seeing someone that looks like them preparing them for the future. We don't have enough female role models. We don't have enough visible women leaders. We don't have enough women in power. Girls are socialized to know when they come out, gender roles are already set. Men run the world. Men have the power. Men make the decisions. It's always the men that is the stronger one. And when these girls are coming out, who are they looking up to to tell them that that's not the way it has to be? And where better to do that than in sports? All these millions of girls that play sports across the country, they could come out every day, and we're teaching them great things about life skills, but wouldn't it be great if we could teach them to watch how women lead? This is a path for you to take to get to the point where in this country, we have 50% of women in power. We have less, less now, right now, less than 5% of women are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So yes, when you look at men's basketball, and 99% of the jobs go to men, why shouldn't 100 or 99% of the jobs in women's basketball go to women? Maybe it's because we only have 10% women athletic directors in Division I. People hire people who look like them, and that's the problem. Not only was she taking a stand that day, but she was laying out her solutions. Not only was she pointing out a problem, she was providing a path forward. Coach McGraw is a legendary coach, statistically and historically. She certainly teaches young women to become strong basketball players. More than that, though, she also teaches young women and demonstrates by her own example how to become strong women, good teammates, and leaders. Coach McGraw, welcome to By Example. I am so excited to have you. On this podcast, we lift leaders up who, through their example, show us what true leadership is. Uh, I'm fond of saying that leaders may look different, but leadership is always the same. And leaders are characterized not necessarily by their title, but by who they are and what they do and how they do it and how they focus on excellence, not just for themselves, but everyone around them and how ultimately they unlock the potential of everyone around them. And I cannot think of a better example of real leadership than you. So welcome and thank you. 
Thanks, Carly. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> well, I mean every word. Uh, I mean every word. And uh, I will admit to you right up front that I am not uh, an expert on basketball. I am not necessarily a basketball aficionado, but I I don't need to be to know what an incredible leader and role model you have been over a very, very long period of time. So uh, I was just so pleased when you agreed to have this conversation with us. I want to start with a uh, remark, a set of remarks that you made at a press conference. And of course, those remarks went viral and you were, um, I believe, responding to a question uh, that prompted a uh, obviously heartfelt statement on your part about the need for more female role models, the need for gender equality. Tell our listeners why you felt so strongly about making that particular statement at this particular time. You know, I think things have built up for a while. I, th I think that all women, you know, we, we've been fighting for so long. I think you all hit a breaking point when something happens and you just think, that's it. I I've got to take a stand on this. I think I've been quietly promoting women for a long time. Uh, I got a little more public recruiting and, and talking about women and hiring women when I have an all-female staff last year in the national championship. We were the only female staff, uh, only female head coach and all female staff. And, and I think a lot of women after that game came up and said, we were pulling for you just because you got all women on your staff. And, you know, we thought that was great. And, and it just kind of resonated with me. And I thought, wow, you know, we're not just fighting for Notre Dame and fighting for this little piece of basketball. We're, we're kind of fighting for all women now. So the following year, when we got back and there was two women in the final four, um, people started talking a little bit more about women and, you know, we just had this great resistance movement in the country and women were in the midterms and we got so many more women in Congress. And I started to look up some things and see what, what really do we have here? And was kind of disappointed. There was only 23% and we're not really being represented as much as we thought. And, you know, there's so many times we kept talking about the first woman to do this. And well, you were, you were probably the first female CEO of Hewlett Packard, right? Well, I was the first female CEO of any company in the Fortune 100, actually. So, uh, but yes, the first at Hewlett Packard for sure. <laughs> so you keep, you know, you just keep seeing this all, time and time again. And you think, when's this going to be normal? When are yeah. women just going to be, you know, 50% of the board of directors and the board of trustees? And, you know, so I, I started really thinking bigger than basketball. And I had all this stuff kind of swirling through my head since, you know, way back since the election. So I, I just, it all, it just all came out. I think I just hit a breaking point. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was or what caused it, but um, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of women not having opportunity. I'm tired of looking at jobs that are open and, and they're going to men when there's qualified women out there. And I don't think people understand that it's different when you want to hire a woman. You have to work a little bit harder. You have to do things a little differently. You can't just sit back and wait for the phone to ring, then have all these guys who are great at networking tell you how great they're going to be in the job. And you, you really need to work at it. So I think, I think it can be done, and I don't think people are doing a good enough job of promoting us. Well, it's so interesting. You've said so much there that I so thoroughly agree with. And just to punctuate a couple points, one of the things I say all the time is, you know, it's different when you're different. It's different when you're different. <laughs> and unfortunately, women are still considered different because 
we don't have the representation that you would expect, considering we're 50 percent of the talent in the nation. It's interesting. I mentioned the CEO statistics. Um, I was absolutely stunned when I became the first woman uh, in the Fortune 100 how much emphasis there was on my gender. Oh, my goodness. Nobody wanted to know what I wanted to do with the company. All they wanted to know was what kind of shoes and suit I was wearing and all the rest of it. But, you know, here we are all these years later, and there are more men named James in the Fortune 500 as CEOs than there are women CEOs. That's pretty depressing. There are 400-plus companies in the United States, large companies in the Fortune 500, who have no women on their board. And, of course, as you know, uh, in college athletics, uh, you remain, sadly, an exception rather than the rule. It is having uh, hired and built a lot of diverse teams and promoted a lot of women. I also so resonate when you say it's hard to, it's not hard to find women, but you have to work extra hard at putting them in the job because people will say, well, I don't know them. They've never done this before. In other words, one of the things that's different is if you are different, somehow you feel like a riskier choice. When in truth, you may be the safest choice in the world (laughs) based on what you're going to bring to the table. And I think that's sometimes because we run up against the reality that people are most comfortable with people like them. And you've said that people hire people who look like them. And I think that's so true. Given your experience, what suggestions would you have for people who are trying to bring more women into positions of leadership or employers who want to do better but somehow aren't making much progress? Yeah, I I think they really have to look a little bit harder. I think the problem with women is if a job opens up and the description says – you need these 10 qualities to do it. They'll say, gosh, I got eight of them, but I don't have all 10. So I guess I'm not there. And, and a guy will look at that and go, I could go two of those things and I can learn the rest. So I'm in. Um, so I think, I think women, you know, we need to help ourselves more first. I think we need to have the confidence and be a little more aggressive in talking about what we do well, because we're so good at being a team player and, and not talking about individual accomplishments. And then from the other side, I think when, when jobs open, the the thing that bothers me the most, I think is when a men's job opens in basketball or or any sport, really, they're going to get a search firm or they're going to hire people like the top guy is, is doing the hiring. And when they're looking for a women's coach or a woman, you know, athletic director, SWA, the, you know, in charge of the women's sports, they're just going to kind of look around and go, oh, well, let's let's hire her. So I, I don't think the process is the same. And so I think that's something that has to change. And then I think you have to get on the phone and call people. If you're looking for somebody, there's plenty of women out there that are in athletics that you could call and say, you know, I'm looking for this job or call the conference office and say, I'm looking for a woman to do this. Like they don't do their homework. They, they sit back on the women's job and wait and see who applies. The men's job, there's already networking going on behind the scenes. They don't have to do that much work. It's so true. You know, when I was the CEO, I decided my senior team uh, demonstrably was not diverse at all. So I said, all right, we're going to make this a priority. And it caused us to recruit differently. And what would happen is people would say, for every job, people say, oh, I can't find anyone. I would say, no, you you can go back and look. (laughs) They're there. Go find them. But then the next objection would be, well, I don't know them. 
they've never done this before. And that's what I meant when I said, I think sometimes if you're different, you're perceived as higher risk because you seem different than everyone around the table. And yet we have to get over that. What I know from building diverse teams is that they take longer to put together. They take longer in some ways to uh, get normed and formed so that they can uh, be really effective. But diverse teams are just more effective than teams where everyone looks the same. I mean, you would never put a group of women on the basketball court who all had the same skills. You would never do that. And yet we do it all the time in other walks of life. We say everybody needs to look the same. They all kind of got to be the same. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think you're you're looking at how men are perceived, you know, just in society, like how we're raised, the things that we're taught. And when you look at it, you just think, oh, well, men are, they're, they're stronger or they're, they're just more powerful or because even the adjectives they use to describe women, you know, we're just never, we are never the same. You're right. We're absolutely different. And you have to come and look at it from a completely different angle to see the strengths. And I think there's been studies shown that some of the boards of the Fortune 500 companies that have more women, they just work better. You know, they're, oh, they're they successful they're- in different ways. The returns are better. I mean, yeah. it's just absolutely true. Uh, by the time I left Hewlett Packard, 60% of my direct reports were women. That's the good news. The bad news is mm, a year after my departure, most of them were gone because women also feel easily an environment that doesn't value them and that doesn't value the differences that they bring to the table, I think. And we're, we're so much better when we all work together, you know, and I think a lot has been said of, you know, having an all-female staff is great. But, you know, we, we have a lot of men around here, too, that are in our, our group. And, you know, we need them all. And we need strong men across the country who are going to be hiring women. You know, we, we need some feminist men out there who can look and see, I want to empower women and I want to make these changes. You know, one of the things that I, I say to young women all the time is don't get a chip on your shoulder. There are really bad people, bad men out there with bad behavior, and those bad men and that bad behavior has to be confronted. In other cases, though, frankly, in my experience, in most cases, men are thoughtless or careless or clueless, <laughs> or maybe they're afraid of doing something different, or maybe they have good intentions, but they don't really know how to put those intentions into action. When you talk to men about doing better, about being a feminist, as you've just described, is there a piece of advice or two that you give them about how to be better at this? You know, I, I think men are oblivious. I really, I really don't think they're, yeah, they're, they're not intentionally mean. I don't think they're intentionally. And the, the thing that helps is when they have daughters. That, that's what I found. All the mail that I got after my, my little speech was all from dads with daughters saying, like, now I get it. Now I see, like, when my daughter's out there and, and this and that are happening. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, like, you got to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to listen. And you have to treat us the same. Like, treat us sometimes they're afraid to say like, oh, do you want to go golfing or do you want to go out to lunch or do this? And they're, they're worried about different things. Whereas, you know, the boys have their, their nights when they're going out to the NBA game and they're going to do different things. And like women don't network that way. So you have to find a different way to reach women and do things with them because they're, they're going home. They, maybe they have kids or, or they want to go home and, you know, they're not going to be out doing things at night with the boys. So you have to find a different way to approach them. 
When you coach these young women year after year after year on the basketball court, of course, some of them go on uh, to play basketball, but a lot of them don't. What are the lessons that you coach that apply on and off the basketball court? I know there are many, but if you could articulate for us, what is it you hope a young woman takes with her for her lifetime from you? Well, there are so many life skills, but I think for me, the most important one is confidence. That is the absolute most important thing. I try to build their confidence to get them to see that your voice is important. You need to continue to use your voice. You cannot be afraid. You know, the more fearless we can get them to be, the more of a little bit of a swagger we can get them to have in in basketball, which is not something that women are ever known for. Or they don't talk about, you know, we talk about teamwork and we talk about work ethic and discipline and all these great things. But the biggest thing I think confidence would be number one. Accountability is so important to me that you can look in the mirror and say, this is what I need to work on. And then uh, the third thing is like, how do you cope? You know, what kind of mental strength do you have to overcome adversity? Because there's going to be so much adversity in life. And boy, you learn that on the basketball court because you might not be the best player. You might not be playing. You might have a season ending injury. There's going to be something that happens that's going to force you to reevaluate yourself and to look at things from a different point of view. And the easiest thing to do is to quit, to go somewhere else, to start all over again. When what we're trying to teach them is you have to learn these skills because they're going to help you in life. And I've had so many women go through horrible, tough times, losing a baby, losing a husband, you know, just so many things they've gone through. And they said, you know what? I found the strength because of what we did when I was playing. And I knew having gone through that, that I could handle anything. Mm, That must, what a reward that is. Yeah. What a reward that is. You know, when I uh, talk about leadership, coach leadership, uh, try and lift up problem solvers and leaders wherever they are, whether they have titles or not, because I think people, all people, uh, regardless of who they are, what they look like, or what their circumstances are, are capable of leadership. It's just that so often people don't think they are, or they don't think it's their job. Uh, I think leaders solve problems and change the order of things for the better. And one of the things I always start with is courage. You have to be brave. We're all afraid of things, and we have to learn how to get over our fears. Your word for it is confidence. Confidence comes from overcoming fear over and over and over and over again. And one of the things I hear from women all the time is that we are afraid of so many things. And so often we seem to be afraid of what other people think, what other people are going to say. We get that voice up in our heads that sort of talks us down from how good we are, how strong we are, how brave we are, how capable we are. Do you see that with your teammates? Do you see that on the court? And how do you deal with that, that voice up in our heads? Yeah, we have that a lot. I think that's a huge problem that women face. And, and it, you know, it always comes back to confidence. But I, I think you're right. People care so much about what other people think. And I think one of the biggest tragedies with the social media is that little heart that says, how many people liked what I said? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they build their whole self-esteem around what a bunch of strangers are saying. And, you know, I, I talked to him in the beginning of the season, we get a circle up with the team and I say, the only people whose opinion matters are the people in this circle. And I was listening to Brene Brown uh, do a, a little talk and she said, like, unless you do what I do, 
unless you've been where I've been. And I don't, I'm not going to listen to what your criticism is because you've not done it. And that's the way it is in sports. You know, people that never coached or never played are the first ones attacking and trying to bring you down. And generally people always want to find a chink in the armor. They're, they're always looking for a way to make themselves better than you. And so you have to get to a point in your life where you're saying like, this is what I am. I'm happy with what I am and having the confidence to just let things roll off your back and just have a short memory. I think that's, that's probably the one thing I encourage all my players and even my staff, you can have a short memory. You, you can't hold on to things. And I think women, we, we do, we like to hold on to things and just, we, you got to let it go. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I so agree with you about social media. It's such an omnipresent, vicious uh, criticism machine. <laughs> and people are just surrounded with it. Young people are. And I agree. I mean, how many hours do people spend curating their photos and projecting this perfect little life? It's like, oh, for heaven's sakes. But I often talk to people about the difference between criticism and feedback. And using your analogy of who's in the circle, you know, critics are people who they don't really care about you. They're not trying to make you better. They're just trying to take you down frequently to make themselves feel better. And those people you ignore. And then there are those who care about you and want you to be better. And they give you feedback. And sometimes you need that feedback. But we have to distinguish between the critics and the criticism and the feedbacks and the feedback from our supporters, people who are motivated for our good. No question. I love that quote, Theodore Roosevelt. I have that one hanging in my office. You know, it's not the critic who counts. It's the man yes. who's actually in the arena. And that has always been one of my favorites. Or the woman. Yeah, that's. I do have to change the quotes occasionally. Write <laughs> that in there. Um, but it's so important. And, you know, I, I, I try to get him to turn that off. It's really hard. I say, you know, I don't read those notifications. Why do you why would you want to read that stuff? When people are talking about you, they're not they're not getting on there to tell you how great you are. Uh, they're, they're trying to just say some things that are going to hurt you. So, and, and we take things so personally as women, you know, I, I think men can, they can deal with that a lot better, but the feedback that we give each other in that circle, and I'm very honest and I tell them exactly, this is what your role is. This is what my expectation is. These are the three things I need you to do. And I expect that you're going to do them. And we're going to talk throughout the season about how you're doing, you know, kind of a report card for how's it going. And then at the end of the season, same thing. But I am very honest. I think that the girls appreciate that because I don't think people are honest anymore. I, I don't think that they actually sit down and say, this is what I think you need to work on. Here's what you're doing well. You know, here's what you could work on. Uh, I've asked my son a number of times. He's in business. And I say, what, you know, what was the year-end meeting like? What do, you, what do you have to work on? And, you know, he'd very often be saying, well, nothing really. And I think, no, I know you a little better than that. I, I think there's some things that you could probably get better at, but I think we're reluctant to be honest with each other. And, and like you said, you know, the people that you respect, they're the opinions that I'm going to listen to. I think you're so true. You're so right as well about we shy away from honest conversations. Now, there is nothing more powerful than an honest conversation from someone who cares about you and for whom you care. And yet, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because we are nervous to offend or we're nervous to hurt somebody's feelings or maybe we're nervous we're going to be misunderstood. I don't know what that is. But you're so right. When you get honest, clear, candid feedback 
from someone who cares and who is going to help you be better. Wow, there's nothing more powerful. And I actually think it is the most respectful and caring thing you can do for someone is tell them the truth, whatever that truth is. I agree. And sometimes you don't want to hear it. And, you know, I've, I've had players that they listen, they think about it. You can tell they're not totally on board with agreeing with you. And then they'll go back and then the next day they'll come out and they'll, and they'll be doing exactly what we talked about. You need to work on and they'll be working on it because they thought about it and uh, and they've realized it's true. Um, but I, I think the problem with with parenting now is that you're, you're never wrong. Like it's never your fault. It's, it's just not, I'll go fix it. It can't be you. It must be the teacher or the coach or, you know, your, your other friend, like it must be them. It's never you. And and they fix all their problems for them. And so I'm often the first one that's told them really directly, like you're not doing this well, this is what I need you to do. And, you know, it's kind of hard for them at 18 to be the first time that somebody's saying, no, you really, you can't do that. And, uh, and it, it might be your fault. You, you can get a little bit better. So I think it's a good conversation to have. Yeah, well, uh, helicopter parenting. And now I think after this college admission scandal, they're talking about, um, I think it's called steam shovel parents, you know, parents who just yep. steam shovel all the barriers out of the way. I think there are many um, terrible things that come from that. But one of them uh, is that the truth is we all learn a lot from tough situations. We learn a lot from falling short. We learn a lot when someone says, you know, you haven't done this as well, or you could do this better. In other words, sometimes we learn more in the tough times than we do in the easy times. And so when the tough times aren't there, I think we're not allowing people to figure out what they're actually made of and fulfill their potential. Well, that's the great thing about sports. You know, you lose games. You, you, yes. you don't you don't play well. You do you do things wrong, and that is the greatest teacher. And you're absolutely right. You learn so much more from losing than you do from winning, um, because it teaches you about yourself, about your character. How are you going to respond to that? Uh, what went wrong? How do we fix it? And kind of moving on and not not blaming. You know, not ever pointing a finger and saying it was somebody else's fault. But what can you do to help us win the next time? And I think that that can be really powerful. Yeah, there are no participation trophies at your level. You, you know, you've got to actually be excellent over and over and over and better than the other folks, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, so you mentioned the word character, which I think is so important. And I don't think we um, really lift up people of character as much as we should. I think our politics, <laughs> for sure, but our social media as well, we kind of lift up um, – <laughs> people who are flamboyant, outrageous, um, divisive, controversial. We lift up all these kinds of people, famous, but we don't necessarily uh, focus on the honest conversation, as you just said. I also don't think we focus necessarily on character, integrity over time, honesty over time, excellence over time. Uh, and obviously, you as a coach care a great deal, not just about the skill of your players, but the character of your players. Talk a little bit about that and how you mold character, how you build character, but why you think it's so important. Well, I think the culture of your organization is the reason you're either a success or a failure. Uh, I think the things that you hold up as values to your people 
are the ones that are, what do we stand for? And that's the thing I've always loved about Notre Dame is, is what it stands for. You know, we're all about integrity, doing things the right way. So when we go out recruiting, we're not looking for the best basketball player. We're looking for somebody that's going to fit our culture. And there's a lot of kids that are super talented that we're not going to recruit because I don't think they fit. Maybe they're a little selfish. Um, you know, they just care about what they're going to get and how many times their name's going to be in the paper. You know, I want kids that are team players that are going to work together, that are competitive. They're going to drive and push each other to get better, that they want to be good. And all they care about is what the team does. Team success is what they value over individual. They're willing to make some sacrifices. I might not be able to get as many shots. I might not play as much. I might be, you know, a supporting player, but it's, it's important to me. And we've had such a great culture here because of the character. And we always talk about that. The thing that we want, we want good character kids, high character kids. And the way I Look at that. You know, I like to see them lose. That, that's the best way to look at it. And I like to see when the ref makes a bad call or the coach yells at them, like, how are they handling that? How is this a relationship with their parents? Because uh, that's how they're going to treat me. So I'm watching, you know, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm, I'm not going to be in that role. So I want to see how you handle those tough situations. Um, and I also look at how the team responds to you. Are you a leader on the floor? Are the other are teammates, are they looking to you? Or are you making faces and rolling your eyes because they're not doing the things you want them to do? You know, as part of that, one of the things that I is so remarkable about your thoroughly remarkable record as a coach is uh, for 10 plus years, you've earned a perfect 100% NCAA uh, graduation success rate. And so obviously, you are focused on um, building successful women on and off the court, building their character on and off the court. Why is that so important? Why have you focused so um, squarely on um, academic success as well as athletic success? Well, I think I think we're about the whole person. The, this is what we talk about. It's not the next four years when you go to college. It's about the next 40 years. You know, what are we teaching you? A lot of times what you learn over here in the basketball arena is almost more important than what you're learning in the classroom. But everything is important. And if you have that work ethic, if you have that drive, I don't want it to just show up over here when you come over for practice. I want you to have that in your life. And you have to be able to do everything and manage your time and go to class and be a participant and use your voice and work hard to get where you want to get to because that's where the true success in life, basketball, that ball is going to stop bouncing at some point. You're going to maybe play pro for a couple of years. Maybe you're, you're going to be 30 and you're going to be looking for a job. And I want you to have these skills to fall back on. So what you do right here, right now is really important. I'm going to ask you uh, two questions, sort of the flip side of a coin. Um, if you were going to give a piece of advice to someone in a community somewhere, maybe they don't have the power to hire or fire, but they really are trying to do better in terms of uh, including women in whatever it is their work is, what one or two pieces of advice would you give them if their intentions are good? You know, I, I think so much of it is just the attitude of how you treat people. And I think when you look at the people who are, you know, you kind of look up to and they're, they're supposed to be in charge, you look at how the respect and things like that. I think the very first chance we get to see 
role models and leadership is our parents. You know, from the time we're born, we're looking at our mom and our dad and we're trying to figure out like gender roles. And that's where we're learning all these things. And so as a parent, I think you have an opportunity right now. Are you raising your son the same way you're raising your daughter? What what is going on at home? Are you looking at the boys going like, oh, it's okay. You can be aggressive. That's just boys. You know, and the girls, you're expecting a little bit different demeanor. You know, are you looking for the same thing, whether they're playing sports? I, I know a lot of times in sports, it, kid, people don't want to see their kids be competitive if they're girls. Like they want the boys to be competitive, but not the girls. So I think you start with your own personal life and your family and how you can help that. And then, you know, from there, I, I think it's just a matter of out in the community, what can you do to make a difference um, by being a part of different groups and different volunteer organizations and anything you can do that just shows that you value women. I mean, there's so many things out there, the YWCA, um, you know, any kind of events in your community that are for women, by women, go out and support them. Well, such good advice. And last question, Coach. If there is a young woman listening to you today and inspired and she feels she's not a basketball player and she feels like, you know, there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of barriers and a lot of people not helping her move along, what would you say to her? Well, I was hoping you were going to say she's 6'4", and she wants to come up and, <laughs> come and join the team, and I'll take her. Um, I'll, I'll let you know if I find one of those. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, sports teaches you so much. And, and you could, you know, so many girls play sports that they're not going to play in college, but they've played team sports and, you know, out, out in the just in grade school and high school. And, and I think that's that's so important. But when you start looking around, like I started looking for, I want my team to, I have them read a book every year. And, you know, last year we read, everyone should be a feminist. And then I started saying, you know, I'm going to look for women authors. You know, I'm going to look for books about women. I'm going to look for organizations about women. Um, how can I help lift up other women? And it's hard to find. I mean, it's really hard to find. So I think you have to find a role model and you have to find a mentor, but more than anything, you got to find an advocate. You have to have somebody that's willing to fight for you, not just somebody that's going to teach you your job, but somebody that's going to be in there fighting for you. So you, you have to look up and see, is there a teacher? Is there, you know, somebody that you've met along the way that can help you? And, you know, I, I think reading is, is great. I, I love to read. I always try to find books that are going to help me get better in some way. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the great places to start. Well, on that note, I'm going to send you a signed copy of my brand new book, Find Your Way, which I hope speaks to women everywhere. Coach, thank you so much for being on By Example. You are a wonderful example of a leader, not just because of who you are and what you do and how you do it, but because you are turning other women into leaders as well. Thank you so much for being with us. And I feel the same about you. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Carly. That's all for now. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can visit CarlyFiorina.com or iTunes for more episodes. And make sure you subscribe to By Example so you never miss an episode. To receive updates and exclusive offers, text By Example to 345-345. And while you're at it, you can send us feedback on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Carly Fiorina or by email at byexample at carlyfiorina.com. As always, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example.